0: A story to tell. It's about my family's first VCR. We had been late coming to the VCR technology. I had seen most of my first home videos at my friends' houses and I would come home and tell my mother about how great this technology was and how we needed it. A couple of years later, I think it was my sister who actually bought the first VCR we had in our house. It was this monstrous black unit that sat next to the television, and we tried to make the most of it. We joined both video stores that we had in town, both were independent, can you imagine that? And we rented movies every weekend to watch. Now We had not figured out how to actually use the VCR for anything else at that point. One day I was over at my friend's house, and he was showing me how he could tape different shows. I had known that the VCR could do that, but we had never figured out how that was possible on ours. So I checked out the back, looked at how it was hooked up to the television, and thought, I could do that. I was young at this point, maybe even single digits, I'm not sure, have to get the exact age down, and told my mother my plans and she agreed that it would be a really good thing if we could tape TV shows and that I had permission to play around with the VCR, as long as I didn't do anything bad to it. That night there was a barbecue at my neighbor's house and my family went over there. I went over early, had some hot dogs, went for a swim in the pool, but I was so excited to work on the VCR that I ran home immediately. I got myself a big glass of grape soda, took a look at the VCR, looked at the wires we had, and started playing around. I got it all hooked up, everything looked great. I even figured out how to get a signal into the box and did some test recordings. Everything was working out well, except for the giant glass of grape soda. You see, as a kid you're kind of clumsy, so I accidentally knocked the grape soda into the VCR. Now I was home alone at the time. If anybody else had been there, I would have been doomed. But I was alone, so maybe I could get out of this. I reacted with cat-like reflexes, ran into the kitchen, grabbed paper towels, dish towel, and get this, Windex. So I ran in and started cleaning off the VCR, but I realized that the grape soda had actually seeped into the cracks of the VCR. I didn't know what to do. I ran and got a screwdriver and got to work opening it up. There was grape soda all over the circuit boards, all over everything. Being a kid, I maybe didn't realize that spraying Windex on a VCR was not the best thing to do, But I saw grape soda, I saw that it was sticking to stuff. I had sopped up as much of it as I could. So I just started spraying. Spraying and wiping, spraying and wiping. All over circuit boards, all over everything I could touch. I got into mechanisms and everything. That took about 10 minutes to get as much of it as I could see. I sealed up the VCR, crossed my fingers. Now, mind you, I had not unplugged the VCR the whole time. So I should be dead at this point. And I was pretty sure I'd be dead later when everybody came home and realized I had destroyed the VCR. But I put the lid back on, put a tape in, hit play, and it worked. I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to press my luck, so I shut off the VCR, ran over to my neighbors and enjoyed the rest of the barbecue. That weekend, my sisters had decided to have a movie marathon with their friend. They went down to the video store, rented some tapes and came home to watch them for the day. I came in to watch maybe, I think it was Desperately Seeking Susan they were watching. I didn't really like the movie, but nothing bad was happening to the VCR, so I didn't complain. But then my sister said something really odd. She said. Do you smell like burning sugar? I pretended, of course, not to smell anything. My other sister kind of picked up on it, but dismissed it as nothing. As I sat there, it was like the telltale heart with burning sugar. The guilt was getting to me, but I dared not admit that I had poured soda into this VCR. This burning smell continued for about three or four more days. Luckily, this was a house full of smokers, so the smell was not as strong as it could have been nor did anybody care to really deeply investigate it. It was a very mild smell compared to especially with all the tobacco smoke in the house. So the burning smell dissipated and the VCR continued to work, which was amazing. About eight months later, my sister was reconnecting a cord in the back of the VCR and the plug actually snapped off. Now it would be an easy soldering job for anyone who had to repair it and I had had some experience soldering at that point and offered to try to put it back together. Now we had pets in my house and when i opened up the vcr the whole thing was sticky and covered with pet hair so i sat there in our basement before i soldered it trying to clean it up and i don't know how i had learned in the intervening time that i shouldn't use windex this time but i slowly but surely picked out the pet hair the vcr was unplugged first and tried to clean out as much of the remnant burnt sugar grape soda that i could i soldered the broken piece back into the vcr brought it upstairs plugged it in And it worked. It's a miracle of technology. Till this day, I'd never told anyone about this story. And I'm actually kind of amazed with all the technology I go through every day. With all the pieces of equipment that break on me. I just had an iPod break on me for the fifth time yesterday. But you could pour grape soda right into this VCR, and it kept on working. It was an amazing unit. And the VCR itself was an amazing piece of technology that I'll always remember. That gave me thousands of hours of fast-forwarded commercial television. I loved my VCR. I use it all the time to transfer old commercials, to look through old VHS tapes, for great things to put on the site. So on today's show, we're going to talk about this great technology. We're going to talk about the history of the VCR. We're going to talk about its legal problems. We're going to talk about its demise. And we'll have some great guest spots. So without further ado, let's start the show. The VCR, or Video Cassette Recorder, actually has a long history. The technology got its start during World War II, where scientists and tinkerers were attempting to store images on magnetic medium. These were early attempts, and it would take several more years before the technology was mature enough to be really useful. These earlier models, which would become the VCR, were actually known as VTRs, or Video Tape Recorders, and not VCR, Video Cassette Recorders. When I say they were videotape recorders, they actually were reel-to-reel, like the old audio recording units. So you would string one tape and then run it through the reel. It would be a couple more years before the video cassette recorder would burst upon the scene. The first commercially viable videotape recorder was made by Ampex and was released in 1956. It was very expensive. It had a $50,000 price tag, and it used 2-inch wide videotape. Not a lot of people could afford the huge price tag. So it wasn't a very common thing for people to own, usually just television stations or big media companies bought one. The very first one was bought by KING TV in Seattle, although CBS in Hollywood actually had the first prototype unit, so sometimes there's some confusion about that. The first production prototype was known as the VRX-1000. And CBS could make a claim that they had the first VTR, but it was actually K-A-N-G that had the first commercially released VTR. CBS having access to this technology led to the first broadcast via videotape of the Douglas Edward and the News program. This was on November 30th, 1956. The show was shot in New York, shown on videotape in New York, and then CBS Television in Hollywood replayed the broadcast three hours later. So what we have is the first bi-coastal television program on videotape. The show was in black and white, because at the time, the VR1000 could only handle black and white images. It would be a couple of more years before it could handle color broadcasting. The technology was great, but it still wasn't accessible to the masses. Enter Sony. Sony took what Ampex had started, and in 1963 created its first reel-to-reel VTR. Although it was still expensive, this actually reduced the cost and the size of the machines, allowing access maybe not to individuals but to businesses, airlines, the education industry. It would still be a while before Sony could repurpose this technology for the masses, but in 1965 they took their reel-to-reel technology and created the CV2000. It was a less expensive videotape recorder that was made specifically for the consumer market. Other companies followed suit and these early VTRs had a price tag of about a thousand dollars. Now, that was really expensive in the 60s, but a couple of people who were really big fans or people who had extra money could now afford these. You have got to love the early adopters. Now, as I said, other companies were developing technology along the same way, but the CV2000 had a really big advantage. It had an extra option, the VCK2000. This was an add-on kit that had a camera, microphone, and tripod. So what this allowed people to do was record family events. And since a reel of tape, which cost about $40, could hold an hour of video, that was well within the budget of any person who could spend the money on the actual unit. This was a milestone, but our nation's appetite for the home video was just beginning. The next big innovation that would come to the videotape recorder would be due to the replacement of the open-air reel-to-reel system with a cassette system. And the morphing of the VTR to the VCR followed the track of other replacements of open-reel systems by cassettes. Some other notable changes were the 4-track audio cartridge, which came out in 1962, the compact audio cassette, an Instamatic film cartridge, which came out in 1963, the 8-track in 1965, and the Super 8 home movie cartridge, which came out in 1966. These cassettes were very popular and easy to use, easy to move around, so all these companies were scrambling to come up with a system that used a cassette recorder as opposed to a reel-to-reel system. In 1969, Sony demonstrated a prototype of what would become its U-Matic system. After the demonstration, Sony set it aside to work out an industry standard so that other companies could work on the same technology. With seven fellow manufacturers, they had worked out all the kinks by 1970. The result was the Sony U-Matic system, which was introduced in Tokyo in September of 1971. It was the world's first commercial video cassette format. The tapes resembled large versions of what we would see as our VHS cassettes nowadays and used three-quarter inch tape and had a maximum playing time of 60 minutes. This was later extended to 90 minutes. At the same time, Sony introduced two machines to play these tapes, the VP1100 video cassette player and the VO1700 video cassette recorder. The Umatic, being as easy it, as it was, instantly swept through all sorts of industries and made all the other consumer videotape systems that had come out before it obsolete in both Japan and North America. Still, it was a pretty high-priced unit. The system cost $1400 for a combination TV-VCR, so the average user still couldn't afford it. The first VCR, or what we would call a VCR, was developed in 1970 by the Philips Corporation. It was Phillips who named this format VCR, which confused enough people at the time, but eventually it would become the standard. The format that they used, which was a square cassette with half-inch tape mounted on coaxial reels, was supported by Grundig and Lowe as well, and gave a recording time of about one hour. The first models came out in the United Kingdom in 1972, and they had a timer that was really problematic. It was a rotary that bothered a lot of people who were trying to use it. Still, a timer was a big deal. That means you would be able to set your clock to actually record something. This is a huge leap. The thing was also very expensive. It cost about two thousand dollars. Critically and economically, it wasn't a huge hit for Philips. But what we saw is the start of the VCR format, as we know it today. So Philips VCR set a standard. In 1975, the rotary dial timer was replaced with a digital timer. This made the unit much easier to use and made a lot of people happier. It was also a huge leap forward in recording technology. The ease of use, combined with mass production and competition between Japanese and European as well as American producers, brought the price down so that the average person could afford it. Now as the VCR raced to success, a new problem arose. Two formats were on the horizon, Betamax and VHS. So the format wars are a pretty big deal. People talk about it today and compare it to things like the Blu-Ray HD DVD battle. To me, the format wars can be summed up pretty quickly. Sony starts Betamax, in 1975 and based it on its umatic system. The umatic system had a maximum recording time of an hour because that's what you needed for television shows. So JVC, which started its VHS, had a two-hour time limit on their tapes. These were two-hour tapes, which is actually much better for recording things like movies. Sony was slow to react. People who started to go to market would see that, well, if I was gonna record something at home, or if I wanted to get a tape of a movie, I would prefer to have VHS, because that's what it's better for. Then JVC introduced the 4-hour tape. So now you have 2-hour movies that can be recorded on the 2-hour, and now you have the 4-hour, which is perfect for sporting events. And although beta was technically a higher quality format in video and audio, the time difference made a big deal. People wanted to be able to record their own events. People wanted to be able to watch Hollywood movies all on one tape, uninterrupted without switching. So it was a natural fit people to embrace VHS. Sony's big miscalculation was not considering what people would actually use their VCRs for or what they would use their beta players for. So valuable was this longer recorded time that in 1975 Betamax owned the entire U.S. market, 100% share of the U.S. market. By 1981, their market share had sunk to 25%. And as the movie and video studios turned away from beta, the combination of lower market share and the lack of titles that worked on the expanding beta just made VHS a much stronger product. And the last Sony Betamax was produced in 2002.
1: Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl with the top five best-selling VHS movies of all time. Tied at rank 4 are Disney's Aladdin and Pixar's Toy Story, each coming in at 23.5 million units sold. Disney sold a blizzard's worth of VHS tapes with the number 3 winner, Snow White, which was purchased 28 million times over. At number 2 is Titanic, which sold 29 million copies on VHS. Interestingly, Titanic is the only film in the top 5 VHS releases that's also in the top 5 movies by box office earnings, where it's king of the world at number 1. And the number one best-selling movie on VHS is... Disney's The Lion King, which gave quite a roar, with 30 million copies sold. And there you have it, the Retroist's Top 5 Best-Selling Movies on VHS. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl.
0: One of the greater difficulties of early VCRs was programming it to record television shows. They often didn't have on-screen menus like you see today where you could pick where and when and what channel to record on. Instead they just had that tiny little blinking 12 o'clock on the screen and you had to figure it out from there. Now I remember when we got our first VCR we couldn't program it to record anything. We had to wait until the show was ready to start, be ready, hit record, and go. Otherwise it was just too difficult. So a couple years later when it was my turn to buy my own VCR I had worked very hard to get the money to do so. I wanted something that would be very simple to use I had read about this new thing called VCR Plus, which was a six digit code that would be published in newspapers and magazines next to the show. You would just enter the six digit code, and boom! The VCR would record your show and hopefully would not cut off anything. It was a great innovation, but it forced me to buy the TV guide every week, which I didn't necessarily mind, but it became a crutch for me, as I needed to have everything programmed way in advance. I would sit there trying to figure out well, I have six hours of tape. On this particular day, I'm going to record this show, this show, and this show. And it had to be in a certain order and a very specific way. When I look at what I do now with my media center and digital recorders, it's kind of laughable. But at the time, this was cutting edge.
1: When you want to tape your favorite shows, does it turn into a big production?
0: Not with VCR Plus, the one-step programmer that works with your VCR
1: and VCR Plus codes. Those numbers next to the shows in your TV guide and newspaper. Simply punch in the codes for the shows you want to take. That's it. No more hassles. So program the old way or the new easy way with VCR Plus. Now available at fine retailers near you.
0: With the ability to record television and movies, an interesting thing happened. Sony was sued big movie studios were worried that this technology would be used for people to collect and record movies without actually paying for them which of course is what exactly what would happen so Universal Studios decided to sue the Sony corporation the case went all the way to the Supreme Court eventually and as most of you know the Supreme Court actually found in favor of Sony this was a huge deal because this meant that people could record things for personal use in their own home. I'm not going to get into the politics of copying this or that, but this decision, the idea that we could record whatever we wanted, put the VCR over the top as a tool that needed to be in every home in America. If people were worried that they were going to get arrested for recording an episode of ALF for their personal use, people might have still bought the VCR and used it in their home, but there still would have been that threat, that almost unenforceable legal threat hanging over their heads. Luckily for the VCR, the times were on their side. One thing that I would like to think helped to tilt the VCR decision in favor of Sony was the testimony of Mr. Rogers, who famously gave testimony stating that he was not opposed to recording of his show or time-shifting. His testimony contrasted with views of others in the television industry who had objected up to this point. The Supreme Court considered the testimony of Rogers in its decision and even quoted his testimony in a footnote in the decision. The quote says, some public stations, as well as commercial stations, program the neighborhood at hours when some children cannot use it. I have always felt that with the advent of all this new technology that allows people to tape the neighborhood off the air, and I'm speaking for the neighborhood because that's what I produce, that they become much more active in the programming of their family's television life. Very frankly, I'm opposed to people being programmed by others. My whole approach in broadcasting has always been you are an important person just the way you are. You can make healthy decisions. Maybe I'm going on too long, but I just feel that anything that allows a person to be more active in the control of his or her life in a healthy way is important. It makes you look at the VCR in a completely different light, not just as an item of entertainment, but as Mr. Rogers saw it, as an item of self-improvement. Looking on the shelves of your living room, you probably noticed that there's probably no VHS tapes left. The DVD market and the DVD rental market has exploded in the new millennium with DVD rentals exceeding VHS rentals for the first time in 2003. In 2005 the president of the Video Software Dealers Association predicted that by 2006 there would be no more major movie releases on VHS and sadly for the most part he was right. Now I could speak from personal experience trying to buy a VCR nowadays is difficult. Most standalone VCRs cost a lot more than the VCR DVD combo. The advent of TiVo and other home recording devices basically put the nail in the coffin of the VHS player. Slowly but surely manufacturers are dropping the format completely and many predict that within two or three years the format could completely disappear. As a fan of the format this is going to be a sad day for me. It's also going to be sad because I have a closet full of videotapes that I've been stocking over the years that are just filled with old television shows, old commercials, recorded movies off television, just all sorts of great events that I've recorded over time and that other people have recorded over time and either sold to me or gave to me. So I guess I best start transferring these things to a digital format as fast as I can. It'll make it easier for me to enjoy them for years to come and also to share them with you. electricity
1: ac
0: electricity dc a wonderful kind of energy that's electric. thanks for listening to the show for more retro fun drop by the website at www.retroist.com the retroist is also on twitter at twitter.com slash retroist want to get in touch with me Email me at Retroist at retroist.com, Thanks to Metagirl and her top five list. If you have an idea for a list, email Metagirl at Metagirl at Retroist.com. If you haven't already subscribed to the Retroist, the Retroist is available on the website and also through iTunes. So make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. In a world ruled by retroists. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.